Hey, it's Greg Stanley. If you're listening to this podcast, you know I love everything automotive. This passion has expanded to include being a car specialist consultant for RM Sotheby's. So if you need assistance buying or consigning a collector car at any one of our online or live auctions, including Scottsdale, Amelia Island, or Monterey, you can reach one of our car specialists at rmsotheby's.com or you can email me directly at gstanley at rmsotheby's.com. This is the Collector Car Podcast, the home for the auto enthusiast. Join Greg Stanley as he applies over 25 years of insights and analytical experience to the collector car market. He will interview the experts and throw in some fun stuff as well. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. Hey, it's Greg Stanley with the Collector Car Podcast. This is a big episode, I think, I hope. Many of you have asked for longer episodes with more fun car facts, and I'm trying to accommodate And I think this will be one of those episodes. So a couple things. First off, this is the first episode titled First in Automotive History. Now, this is such a big topic that this will be two, maybe three episodes. So stay tuned for some of the future episodes. Now, if there's a first in automotive history I do not mention, it's probably because it hadn't happened yet. So this particular episode I'm going to take through 1945. Now, if you know, if something wasn't invented until 1946, it will not be in this episode. So you might hear me talk about a three-speed transmission, a four-speed transmission, but not the five-speed transmission, because potentially that happened during the next episode. So bear with me. I decided to do it chronologically instead of by option, and it's very fascinating. Now, there's a couple things I will have to point out here. So some of my sources uh, are a little bit iffy. I did use Wikipedia a little bit, only because some of the facts are just basically general knowledge at this point. There might not be a specific website or source in which to quote for that fact. Uh, When possible, I did reference actual sources where I could nail down a particular date and time for that automotive first, so I will quote those. So if I did not quote a source basically means it's either general knowledge or it's from the reliable and ever-trustworthy source of Wikipedia. Now, for some of these firsts, there may have been other ones before it, but they were either not widely accepted or never patented. So, for example, would be the first, quote-unquote, car ever produced. I'll get to that in a minute, but the first one may not have been the actual first running, driving vehicle in existence but it was the first one that was officially recognized by a patent office. Okay, so like I said, we are going to start chronologically, and believe it or not, this entire car world that we live in started in 1769. I found this shocking when I found this out. So that was the first record of a steam-powered car. Now, this was not the very first car ever because it wasn't ever patented, like I said. That's approximately 100 years later. But it was the first record of a vehicle that was powered by steam. Now, the earliest steam-powered car we know about was finished as early as 1769 by French inventor Nicolas Cugnot. Now, just as a heads up, I will butcher a bunch of names. I do apologize in advance for that. I am not great at accents and foreign names. I apologize for that up front. It was a large three-wheel vehicle that moved at the speed of a walk and was meant to haul a cannon. Earlier cars had been driven by springs and compressed air, so those do not apparently count either. Now, the very first internal combustion engine appeared in 1863, the first official one. 
So as early as 1863, Belgian inventor Lynette Lenore had driven his Hippomobile the nine kilometers from Paris to Jointville-le-Pont and back. It was powered by Lenore's own gas engine and fueled by a turpentine derivative, thus earning it the distinction of the first vehicle with an internal combustion engine in 1863. Can you believe that? That is unbelievable. All right, now the first gasoline engine, the one right before I mentioned, was powered by turpentine, a derivative of turpentine. The first gasoline engine was developed by Carl Benz, yes, of Mercedes-Benz. It was a one-cylinder, two-stroke unit, which ran for the first time on New Year's Eve in 1879. So 1879 is the first gasoline engine. All right, now here's the big event, the historic event, the iconic event. 1886 was the first car, the first carburetor, and I think that was it. All right, so on January 29th, 1886, Carl Benz, again a Mercedes-Benz, eventually, applied for a patent for his vehicle powered by a gas engine. The patent, number 374635, may be regarded as the birth certificate of the automobile. In July 1886, the newspapers reported on the first public outing of the three-wheeled Benz patent motor car model number one. Now, I know at a local dealership here in Cincinnati, they actually have a reproduction of this in their lobby, which is pretty cool. All right, that car also had the very first carburetor, which was devised by Daimler and Maybach before becoming a part of Benz slash Mercedes-Benz. Okay, the first electric car came about in 1890. Yes, 1890 for the first electric car. All right, so start in the 1830s with Scotland's Robert Anderson, whose motorized carriage was built sometime between 1832 and 1839. Batteries, galvanic cells, were not yet rechargeable, so it was more of a parlor trick. Look, no horses nor ox, yet it moves. Then a transportation device. Another Scot, Robert Davison of Aberdeen, built the prototype electric locomotive in 1837. Batteries that could be recharged came along in 1859, making the electric car idea more viable. Around 1884, inventor Thomas Parker helped deploy electric-powered trams and built prototype electric cars in England. By 1890, a Scotland-born chemist living in Des Moines, Iowa, William Morrison, applied for a patent on the electric carriage he'd built perhaps as early as 1887. With front-wheel drive, four horsepower, and a reported top speed of 20 miles per hour, it had 24 battery cells that needed recharging every 50 miles. Morrison's self-propelled carriage was a sensation at the 1893 Chicago World's Fair. Morrison himself was more interested in the batteries than in mobility, but he sparked the imagination of other inventors. So the first electric car was patented in 1890. We have a long way to go here, and I'm already five minutes into it. Okay. The first three-speed transmission, this is from the website It Still Runs, appeared in 1894. French inventor Louise-René Pinard and Emile Levasseur are credited with the development of the first modern manual transmission. They demonstrated their three-speed transmission in 1894, and the basic design is still in the starting point for most contemporary manual transmissions. That's pretty cool. All right, the first steering wheel appeared on the 1894 Panard racing car, and the first time it was on a production car was the 1899 Packard, before they might have had like a tiller kind of idea. 
All right, this is interesting. This is about tires first appeared approximately 1895 for cars. Robert William Thompson invented the first vulcanized rubber pneumatic inflatable tire. Thompson patented his pneumatic tire in 1845, and while his invention worked well, it was too costly to catch on. That changed with John Boyd Dunlop, 1840 to 18... I'm sorry, he lived from 1840 to 1921, a Scottish veterinarian and the recognized inventor of the first practical pneumatic tire. His patent, granted in 1888, wasn't for automobile tires, however. Instead, it was intended to create tires for bicycles. It took another seven years for someone to make the leap. Andre Michelin, we all recognize that name, and his brother Eduardo, who had previously patented a removable bike tire, were the first to use pneumatic tires on an automobile. Unfortunately, these did not prove durable. It wasn't until Philip Strauss invented the combination tire and air-filled inner tube in 1911 that pneumatic tires could be used on automobiles with success. So it first appeared in 1895, but it wasn't really used successfully till about 1911. So what is the first truck ever produced? 1896. All beginnings are difficult, not only for people who are ahead of their time. While it is true that the world's first truck initiated motorized road transportation as we know it today, it did not attract a single buyer in Germany. In the early stages, the truck had to overcome a great deal of resistance, much more than the passenger car, which is pretty interesting. Unlike the car, the truck had a hard time winning recognition in the early days, whereas the high society had welcomed the car with open arms as an enrichment of their personal freedom, the truck came up against severe skepticism in industry. Capital goods had to earn money. And of course, Gottlieb's Daimler's first truck was matured only to a limited extent, even though its time had definitely come. Now, Daimler apparently made a lot of cool inventions. He came up with the motorcycle, the motorized hand car, a motorized fire fighting pump, and eventually, and most inevitably, with the truck. Back in 1896, he set up the first truck on ironclad wooden wheels, a type of carriage without a drawbar, but with an engine instead. All right, now the first land speed record was set in 1898. According to the Guinness Book of World Records, Francis Jean Duke set the world's first ever officially recognized land speed record. This electric vehicle drove at just over 39 miles an hour in 1898. It didn't tell me what the car was. Okay, the first hybrid appeared in 1899. The first hybrid car was built in the year 1899 by engineer Ferdinand Porsche. Porsche called the system loner Porsche Mixtre. It used a gasoline engine to supply power to an electric motor that drove the car's front wheels. The Mixte was well received and over 300 were produced. Huh. So there was a Porsche back in 1899. Okay, according to Autoweek and Haggerty, who I am quoting here, the first four-speed came about in 1902. The Mercedes Simplex, which was launched in 1902, had a four-speed gearbox. Now that was a very simple quote I saw on Wikipedia, but let's follow it up with a note from Haggerty, or from Arterweek. A manual transmission is a multi-speed motor vehicle transmission system where gear, the first car to use a manual transmission with synchromesh, was a 1929 Cadillac. The four-on-the-floor transmission goes way back. The super cheap Volkswagen Beetle had one from its birth in the late 1930s. For example, Detroit mostly stayed true to the three-speed until the late 1950s. And from what I can tell, the first four-speed car was a 1957 Corvette. 
Now, at that time, four-speed manuals became the high-performance transmission of choice. Okay, so four-wheel drive came about in 1902 from Spiker. In 1911, we had the American four-wheel front-wheel drive company. I'm sorry, four-wheel drive company. Miller Race Cars in 1932 had four-wheel drive. In 1917, Oshkosh. In 1934, Dodd Trucks as well. Four-wheel drive was advanced during World War II with the Unimog in 1946, received it, then the Land Rover in 1948, and the Toyota Land Cruiser in 1954. Now, the first mass-produced automobile came about in 1908, and most of you will guess it was the Ford Model T. So recent automobile production is marked by the Ford Model T, created by the Ford Motor Company in 1908, which became the first automobile to be mass-produced on a moving assembly line. Now, the first single overhead cam engine was introduced in 1910, among the first overhead camshaft engines were the 1902 Marge Slay single overhead cam engine built in the United Kingdom. Now, these are race cars, so 1910, I believe, is for the street application. And the first double overhead cam engine was a Peugeot inline four racing engine from which powered the car that won the 1912 French Grand Prix. Another Peugeot with a double overhead cam engine won the 1930 French Grand Prix followed by the Mercedes-Benz 18100 GP with a single overhead cam engine when the 1914 Grand Prix. Now, the first station wagon came about in 1910. The first station wagons were built in around 1910 by independent manufacturers producing wooden custom bodies for the Model T chassis. They were originally called depot hacks because they worked around train depots as hacks, short for hackney carriages, as taxi cabs were then known. The first locking ignition switch came about in 1911 by Bosch. Not much detail there. The first electric starter came about in 1912, invented by Cadillac by Charles Kettering of Dayton, Ohio. The first door lock came about in 1914 by Scribbs Booth in 1914, but common in 1956 on the Packard. So there must have been a big gap there between when they first appeared to when they became standard practice. Yes, Packard reintroduced them in 1956. The first V8 appeared in 1914. The first well-known V8 engine was produced by the French company Antoinette in 1904 for use in aircraft. And in 1914 to 1935, the Cadillac L-head engine is considered the first automotive V8 engine to be produced in significant quantities. The popularity of V8 engines and cars was greatly increased following the 1932 introduction of the Ford Flathead V8, the iconic 32 Ford. Now, I go pretty deep here. The first coupe ever built was in 1916, so take a listen to this. So there was a lot of different body styles around then. I'm going by when it was actually kind of defined as a coupe. During the 18th century, horse-drawn carriages were the primary mode of transportation. The origin of the coupe came from this body style. First, the coupe variety of Berline was debuted and cut into a shortened version of the original horse-drawn carriage. It had no rear-facing seat in it. As small two-passenger vehicles were introduced, the original designs ensured that there was a fixed piece of glass in front of where the passenger sat. It took on the name Berline Coupe. Over time, that name got shortened to just Coupe. Initially, they were marketed to be an ideal vehicle for women to make social visits in or to go shopping. By the early 20th century, the term meant a two-door automobile that had room for a driver and up to another two passengers on the single bench seat. The coupe chauffeur, or coupe de ville, 
was one such exception because it retained an open driver's seat in the front. The Society of Automobile Engineers decided to create a nomenclature in 1916 for various car bodies. It included the following designations. Coupe was defined as an enclosed vehicle from inside. It has seats for two or three people and occasionally features a backward-facing fourth seat. A couplet was a small car with seating for two or three people. It featured a folding top, fully retractable windows, and full-height doors. And a convertible coupe was a roadster featuring a removable roof. As the years went on, the word coupe was used to describe many types of vehicles where the rear seat sat further toward the front than a sedan would. This was also called a closed-coupled car. Now, in 1916, the first V12 showed up. Packard was the first to offer a V12 in a standard production car as early as 1916, and soon all the real quality U.S. brands, Cadillac, Auburn, Lincoln, and Pierce Arrow, were added. The first British production V12 was fitted to the Rolls-Royce Phantom III in 1936. All right, we're finally moving into the 20s. So 1921 was the first automatic transmission. Now, this is provided by Mr. Transmission. The first automatic transmission was meant was invented in 1921 by a Canadian steam engineer, Alfred Horner Munro. Munro designed this his device to use compressed air rather than hydraulic fluid, so it lacked power and never became sold commercially. General Motors then developed the first automatic transmission using hydraulic fluid in the 1930s and introduced a hydromatic transmission in 1940. The 1948 Oldsmobile was the first model to use a true automatic transmission. The hydromatic developed by GM engineer Earl Thomas was advertised as the greatest advance since the self-starter. The hydromatic went through continual upgrading and refinements through 1955, but the basic design and theory used were consistent throughout its remarkably long lifespan. General Motors replaced the hydromatic in 1956 with the Jetaway. The Jet was not a roaring success and quickly gave way to the turbo hydromatic in 1969. All right, now we're moving. Actually, this is still in 1921, the first supercharger. In 1860, brothers Philander and Francis Maroon Roots, founders of Roots Blower Company of Connersville, Indiana, patented the design for an air mover for use in blast furnaces and other industrial applications. The world's first functional, actually tested engine supercharge was made by Dugall Clerk, who used it for the first two-stroke engine in 1878. Gottlieb Daimler received a German patent for supercharging an internal combustion engine in 1885. Louis Renault, a lot of famous, familiar names here, patented a centrifugal supercharger in France in 1902. An early supercharged car was built by Lee Chadwick of Pottstown, Pennsylvania in 1908, which reportedly reached a speed of 100 miles an hour. Now we're finally getting to it here. <laughs> the world's first series-produced car with superchargers were Mercedes 6-25-40 horsepower and Mercedes 10-40-65 horsepower. Both models were introduced in 1921 and had root superchargers. They were distinguished as compressors with a K, the origin of the Mercedes badging that continues today. So 1922, we come to the first radio, which was put into a Ford Model T. Now, it wasn't a factory option. It sounds like that started happening in about 1930. So the Model A Deluxe Coupe cost $540 back then, and you can add a radio for a staggering price of $130, which was the first radio in a car to wear the Motorola name. 
1922, we had the introduction of the sun visor. Now, this is from Motor Trend. Back in 1924, a fellow named Hearth Hathaway invented the first sun visor, or glare shield, in his words, which mounted to the outside of a Ford Model T. Again, this is an accessory, not necessarily from the factory. The visor, as we know it, moved inside in 1931, and it has since developed some new models of swinging, pivoting, and sliding, but it's still a pretty blunt instrument in that it still blocks way more view than it does sun. Still, NHTSA data attributes sun glare to causing nearly twice as many accidents as the most as the next nearest weather phenomenon. That's amazing. All right, 1925, we saw the first official pickup truck. This is from carcovers.com. The first popular pickup truck was the Ford Model T runabout with a pickup body. This vehicle was factory produced by Henry Ford back in 1925. The style of pickup trucks can vary greatly when considering make, model, purpose, and region. All right, 1926 was the first double overhead cam engine. We mentioned this a little bit before. But in 1926, the Sunbeam 3-liter Supersport became the first production car to use a double overhead cam engine. In the United States, Duesenberg added double overhead cam engines alongside their existing single overhead cam engines with the 1928 release of the Duesenberg Model J, two years after the Sunbeam Supersport, which was powered by a double overhead straight 8 engine. The 1931-1935 Stutz DV32 was another early American luxury car to use a double overhead cam engine. Also in the United States, the double overhead cam Offenhauser racing engine was introduced in 1933. Its inline four-cylinder engine dominated North American open-wheeled racing from 1934 until the 1970s. That is a very long time. Oh my goodness. All right, the first car to have a heater was a 1929 Ford Model A. The first car to have an adjustable suspension was the 1932 Cadillacs and Packards. The first car to have non-wooden spoke wheels was in 1933. So wood spoke wheels were available for Plymouth in 1933. Some had told me that they were also available in 1934, but my parts book do not show that. So this is from an expert with the AACA. 1934 was the introduction pretty much of hubcaps. There was some various kind of like hubcaps before that. These were full-wheel cover, covers available on Cadillac, which also had stainless steel discs. The first power convertible top was in 1934 on the 1934 Peugeot 601 Eclipse. All right, now this is a big one. In 1935, we have the Granddaddy SUV. So the Granddaddy of today's full-size SUVs Chevrolet introduced its suburban carryall in 1935, making it the longest model name in continuous use in the auto industry. Instead of getting the kids to hockey practice, the original was used primarily as a means to transport commuters to and from train stations. Just like today's version, though, the original two-door-only suburban was based on a contemporary Chevy half-ton pickup truck chassis with an all-metal wagon body that could carry up to eight passengers. Now, the compact-designed 1984 Jeep Cherokee is often credited as the first SUV in the modern understanding of the term. Now, in 1936, we had the first diesel. Now, this is from Daimler.com. In February 1936, the diesel engine celebrates its premiere in the passenger car, the Mercedes-Benz 260D in the W138 series was the world's first series production diesel passenger car. 
1937, we have the first HVAC system seen in the 1937 Nash, and then a premium version was launched with the 1939 Packard. Now, the first heater by itself, I guess, was launched with the 1938 Nash. And in 1939, we got a lot of information here about the convertible. This is from the PioneerAutoShow.com. In 1905, Cadillac began producing closed-top vehicles. These became a massive hit among customers. So we basically had to start with the closed-top car before we get to the convertible. So it was a massive hit among consumers who were fed up with eating dust while trying to look dapper during their daily commute while doing a swift 25 miles per hour. Because back then, the cars prior didn't have any type of roof. By 1910, the new design became the standard, and it seemed as though an open-top concept was dead. But as they all tend to do, people grew bored of the new design and longed for the days of cruising along with their hair blowing in the breeze. They wanted to have that open top once again, but this time perhaps with a little control over the elements outside. So in an effort to give the people what they wanted, manufacturers began producing the modern convertible. Those early models emerging in the 1920s were hardly the stuff of innovative folklore. In fact, they were usually cold, drafty, and had unreliable, difficult-to-operate roofs. Not exactly luxury living, but it all changed in 1934 when Peugeot introduced the 601 Eclipse model, which I mentioned earlier with a power convertible top. A true innovation was finally introduced, and this beauty featured the first reliable retractable hardtop roof. This concept would be expanded upon in the 1939 Plymouth, who created the first motor-controlled tops. All right, so this is the first motor-controlled convertible top. In 1939, Plymouth introduced the first mechanically operated convertible roof. Demand for convertibles increased as a result of American soldiers in France and the United Kingdom during World War II experiencing the small roadsters which were not available in the United States at the time. All right, we're getting to the end here. All right, in 1939 was the first real appearance of turn signals. This is from secondchancegarage.com. A little bit of backstory here. In 1907, Piercy Douglas Hamilton applied for a patent received in 1909 as U.S. Patent 912831 for a device indicating the intended movement of vehicles. Apparently, the lights were shaped like hands, so other drivers accustomed to reading hand signals would understand their meaning. Fast forward to 1914 with silent film star Florence Lawrence designed, though failed to patent, a mechanical signaling arm. Note, she also designed the first mechanical brake signal, and her mother patented the first automatic windshield wipers. Interesting. As the driver pushed a button, a signal on the rear bumper came up telling others which way the drivers would turn. According to the December 1985 issue of Popular Mechanics, the Protex Safety Signal Company introduced flashing turn signals in 1920. The first modern turn signal, though, can be attributed to Edgar Waltz Jr., who in 1925 secured a patent for one and tried to market it to a major car manufacturer. They just weren't interested, and the patent expired 14 years later. Meanwhile, drivers and inventors kept working on other solutions. The Smithsonian now has a handmade one-off signal, for instance, that Oscar J. Smiler made in 1929. It had a four-lobed shape with lenses for lighting, indicating slow stop, left, or right turn. The European remedy for signal turning or lane changing offered drivers semaphore indicators, mechanical arms known as trefficators that swung out horizontally. Buick was the first U.S. automaker to offer factory-installed flashing turn signals. 
Introduced in 1939 as a safety feature, the newfangled feature was advertised as the flash way directional signal operated from a switch on the new handy shift column mounted shifter. The flashing signals only operated on the rear lights. In 1940, Buick enhanced the directional indicators by extending the signals to front lights and adding a self-canceling mechanism. That year, directional signals became standard on Buick Cadillac, LaSalle, and the Hudson Country Club vehicles and optional on Chevrolet Oldsmobile and Pontiac for a cost of $795, Hudson for $10, and Packard. All right, the first car with air conditioning was a 1940 Packard, and in 1941, it was available with Cadillacs and Chryslers. The first car with power windows was a 1940 Packard 180. And our last fun fact for tonight, the first lowrider came in in about 1945. Lowrider car culture began in Los Angeles, California in the mid to late 1940s and during the post-war prosperity of the 1950s. Initially, some Mexican-American used lowered blocks, cut spring coils, zed the frames, and dropped spindles. So those have been around for a very, very long time. Well, I know that was a lot, and I hope you enjoyed an extended version of the Collector Car Podcast. As always, keep your hands on the wheel, the tires straight, and your foot on the gas, and I will talk to all of you next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the Collector Car Podcast. Don't forget to give us a nice rating on iTunes, and be sure to follow us on Instagram and everywhere else at the Collector Car Podcast. <laughs>